Welcome to episode four of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here along with James Finch. Today's episode, we're talking about the goalie market. As usual, we're providing our opinions. These are not necessarily, uh, we're not passing along any inside information that we might have or anything like that. Um, any, any ads or anything associated with this podcast don't necessarily reflect products that we're endorsing or our views or anything like that. We'd appreciate you subscribing to the podcast on any of the channels that you might uh, get consuming your podcast from, as well as following us on Twitter at MaxTermPod or at AFP Analytics, which is where we have our contract projections posted. And any questions or anything, you're always welcome to reach out to us via um, any of those channels. So the goalie market is an interesting one. And it's really interesting because the name we have at the top of our projections is, is restricted free agent. But I'm not I'm not sure that that RFA is going to stand the entire uh, offseason here. It'll be an interesting situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Ilya Samsonov. He could very well be their goalie, whether it's on something close to his qualifying offer, which is one point eight million. Or if they go long-term with him, which is a possibility, we have him projected four years at about $5 million. That's 5.99% of the cap. It's going to be interesting because of their cap situation. He's a decent goalie. You'll worry a little bit about injuries. Could they possibly replace him with a cheaper option? Maybe. Maybe not. All of that uncertainty around how they're going to build their team out leads to the uncertainty of what happens with Samsonov. I I don't think there's one answer that I gravitate towards. Yeah, I, I'm I kinda hinted I'm I would assume they qualify him, but maybe they if the, the minute they qualify him, they're kind of backing themselves into a corner just based on just asset wise. Still have Matt Murray under contract. Maybe they buy him out to create a little bit of cap space. Uh, I like Wall. I like I like uh, Joseph Wall as a prospect, but is he ready to take on a full time role in Toronto? Maybe as a backup type player. Is does it make sense to have him in tandem with Samsonov? Do you want to play hardball with Samsonov and basically force him? into, well, probably go to arbitration, and who knows where that award could end up. Exactly, and I I do want to be clear, Samsonov's UFA year starts next year, so if if he were to be on a one-year deal, it would walk him right to unrestricted free agency in the following offseason. So I, I don't see that as a likely outcome of this. I think Toronto is going to be smarter than that to just give up on an asset in a way like that. Yeah, if I think I would not be surprised if Toronto doesn't qualify him. That might come as a surprise to some of the listeners, but the minute they qualify him or basically want to retain his rights, they want to keep the ability to sign him, he's probably going to turn around and file for player-elected arbitration, which is going to allow him to present his case in front of a neutral, basically, arbitrator, and that arbitrator is going to decide how much he's going to make. I would be surprised in an arbitration case if he comes in anything under four million dollars, which is what Robin, which is the kind of level Robin Leonard set years ago with Buffalo, 
and Samsonov had a better season than, than Leonard did and got that $4 million. Yeah, I think it's it's something Toronto is really going to have to decide. It's how do they want to build their team? Are there cheaper options out there that could possibly make more sense when they're trying to sign other players? Um, I don't want to go too far down this road because it's pure speculation, but could someone like a Carter Hart, a possible trade, make more sense? And then that leads to Samsonov either being moved as an RFA or not qualified. I don't know. It's a strange situation to be looking at our top free agent goalie and to be so uncertain about how he's going to be viewed by his current team. Yeah, and let's let's stick with the uh, restricted guys a little bit more because there's uh, interesting names kind of towards the top of the list. Like most of the quality in the goalie market is are those young guys. And cover your ears, Ottawa fans. Philip Gustafson is the is the next RFA. We have him projected for a really nice contract after he had a great year being traded for Cam Talbot. Yeah, so we've got Gustafson at a three year deal. Uh, 4.25 AAV and a 5.08% cap hit percentage. Um, that is technically our long-term uh, projection for Gustafson. Um, he had a great season for Minnesota, and he looks like their goalie number one of the future, and even of the now, I think he's kind of surpassed Flurry in Minnesota. And for Ottawa, that that's a tough trade when you're looking at Cam Talbot. And I guess in a way it could make sense back then when they made the trade. They wanted the veteran goalie who had some experience in the playoffs and had played well in recent years, but that trade just looks bad now. Yeah, Minnesota has an has a similar situation to Toronto in that they have a kind of older, young goalie in that someone that's coming close to um, unrestricted free agent, but still a restricted free agent. Then they have a goalie in their that played with their AHL team that's thought of pretty highly in uh, Jesper Wallstedt. So it'll be interesting kind of how Minnesota wants to position themselves contract-wise. And that's not even considering what they may or may not be doing with Marc-Andre Fleury, too. Yeah, it's it's definitely another team to watch as far as a restricted free agent. I would assume Minnesota would want to keep him, but it's I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it's definitely happening. Um, and even the type of deal. So long-term is what we went over, but we've also got a short-term deal for him, and that's coming in one year at about 3.15 AAV, and that's a 3.79% cap hit percentage. And I don't know if that really makes sense for Minnesota from just a, a salary cap perspective. I, I think the longer-term deal would make sense to try to get him locked up a little bit. It's, it's just a weird top of the market for goalies this year. Yeah, and then a couple more, well, not really many more RFAs that are looking to get paid. 
I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood, I would be absolutely shocked if he does get qualified. So I'm expecting him to hit the open market. Um, Connor Ingram's an interesting kind of name as well. He could go either way with Arizona. But then there's not really many other other one, names. One big one uh, you might have I, I did right miss. By. I miss, yeah. Jeremy Swayman. And uh, to continue the, this is a weird year for restricted free agent goalies. I don't know if anyone is confident in what Boston is going to do with their goalie situation. Olmark just had an amazing year. Jeremy Swayman's a very good young goaltender that could easily be the goalie of the future for Boston. Could be the goalie of the future for many other teams too. I don't know if that would mean a possible offer sheet. Those don't happen very often. It might more mean a trade could be possible. But is it Swayman in a trade or Olmark in a trade? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the water on the offer sheet fire with Jeremy Swayman and just just point out that the minute Boston, I would assume, files for arbitration, that that takes the offer sheet ability off the table. So if I was a team, I would love to throw an offer sheet just right around that second-round, third-round compensation around that $4 million range, which is right around we have, where we have them projected. And that would put Boston in a very uncomfortable situation. So I'm assuming Boston will file for arbitration. But just like we started off talking about Samsonov and using the Robin Leonard comparison, like, Swayman arbitration is probably getting $4 million as well. So has Boston established enough of kind of a contract culture, if you will, of players taking a little bit below what they're probably worth to kind of help build out um, depth on that team and in that organization? Yeah, I think maybe they have built that culture. I also kind of wonder just from Boston's perspective as far as how much cap space they may need to sign other players. Is this a tough decision that they make? Because Olmark's there at $5 million, and Swayman, if he comes in just under 4 $9 million isn't crazy, especially for those two goalies. But they need the money elsewhere. You're talking Bertuzzi, Orlov, Hathaway, Bergeron might retire. Krejci might retire. That team's going to have a lot of holes, and that cap space is needed. Um, really tough situation to predict. Yeah, the so the RFA, not, not many names, and even the unrestricted class, I think there's some guys, if you're looking for kind of a 1A, 1B type of player, there's definitely no like, hey, let's ride this guy for 50, 60 games. Think, I think most of these guys in the unrestricted class, you're probably topping out close to a 50-50 split, 40 games each for one goalie, 40 games for your other on your roster. I think the one the one name that maybe is a little bit closer to the ride him a little bit more goalie is Tristan Jari. So he's a player that Pittsburgh um, is fans have kind of grown a little bit tired of, but he's still a quality goalie just dealt with a lot of injuries so there's some risk there and I think it would be really interesting to kind of talk a little bit about 
where how we came up with that uh, four years, almost five million dollar um, projection for Jari because. As we've been saying in a lot of our previous episodes, our goal is to create a market basket of kind of, of players that are similar. So we kind of have a higher scenario, a middle scenario, which is around where they'll sign, and a low scenario for uh, Jari. So some of those players would be who? Yeah, so I'm going to give you three names that kind of all have a similar playing history of there's been a little bit of injuries here and there. They've looked like they can pretty much take over being the top goalie, but there is a little doubt there. Um, so the low side of our projection, uh, so our, our projection was a four-year deal, 5.78% um, on the cap hit percentage. And uh, so the... A lower side comp for Jari is going to be uh, Freddie Anderson when he signed in Carolina. Uh, that was a two-year deal, 5.45% of the cap. Um, similar situation where Anderson flashes and has the ability and had it when he signed that contract to be a top goalie, but there were questions about can he sustain it over a full season? Someone who falls a, a little bit above at 5.96% was Ben Bishop when he signed his deal with Dallas. That was a six-year deal, so a little bit of a longer deal, 5.96% cap hit percentage. And then just above him, Robin Lehner um, with Vegas. So that was a five-year deal, 6.06%. These are all guys that... Injury questions are there. The talent's there. It's kind of finding the right balance of how much risk are you willing to take on. Yeah, so if you're if this is your first time listening and you're hearing us talk, throw around kind of percent of the cap a lot, uh, episode one of this uh, Max Term podcast, we, we touch on kind of why we use percent of cap and kind of how our projections come about. And I think it's also important um, when looking at kind of the names that we have is on the goalie list and some of the numbers associated with them to point out that these were finalized before the playoffs were over. Which will bring me to who we have as the third uh, goalie in the unrestricted class. But I'm going to go off script a little bit, or at least off our projections, and say I think now probably the second goalie in Aiden Hill, who I think there's two strong comparisons that didn't necessarily that factored into this projection, but now we're looking probably a little bit more at because of how the playoff run happened. And that's Jordan Bennington's shorter term deal with St. Louis right after they had won the cup. And the second goalie, Scott Darling, who uh, had a run with Chicago a few more years ago, but both Bennington and Darling's contracts were really driven by strong, strong playoff performances. So that would bring Aiden Hill's value probably above $4 million, which would put him around and I think he might even exceed where we have Freddie Anderson's deal. So Aiden Hill's definitely a goalie to watch. Personally, he's been one of my, I don't know, under-the-radar favorite kind of ideas for teams looking for a depth goalie for a couple of years. So... 
be interesting to see if he can replicate that success, but he's always been kind of a favorite of mine. So, yeah, the those two goalies we mentioned as comparables, Bennington and Darling, we did actually have them as comparables, but they were at the very top for Aiden Hill, not necessarily someone that he fell in with originally. Uh, but, yeah, the, the playoff run is probably going to push him a bit north above our projection. Then once we get past Hill, who be interesting to see what type of market develops as a team going to bring him in as a true 1A type of goalie or a kind of 1B. We have the Carolina tandem, Freddie Anderson, Auntie Ranta, who are probably the other kind of 1A, 1B options. And maybe I throw in Jonas Corposalo, who we have projected a little bit lower value-wise, but I think teams could talk themselves into him if uh, LA doesn't necessarily retain him. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with Corpusalo because he's separate from the two Carolina guys. Um, he had a bounce back season, so much so that the Kings needed a goalie and they acquired him, but didn't have the greatest playoff. And that recency bias that I think creeps in I think it's going to hurt him a little bit on the open market, especially when he had some down seasons prior to this. Um, so his, we've got him at two years, about 2.6 AAV, and I, I think that's probably fair. Um, moving to the Carolina guys, this is an interesting, like, which goalie would you rather have? So... The way I look at it is I think if I needed one game or maybe one playoff series, give me Antti Ranta. But I'm looking for a solid goalie play over a full season. I might be more comfortable going with Freddie Anderson. They both have some injury questions, but I think at this point Anderson's a little more durable than Ranta. Um I, I think it, it really depends on what you're looking for. I, I think Anderson can be a 1A. I think Ranta probably tops out at a 1B. Yeah, and I think when we're talking kind of 1A, 1B, we're talking kind of guys that are playing maybe 45 games as a 1A and just under 40, maybe 35-ish as a 1B just, just kind of the, the 1B would be more of the complementary piece where the 1A gets maybe a few more starts. But basically what Carolina rolled out this year is exactly that type of situation where they have that 1A and 1B, um, or at least ideally they wanted to roll that out. And Carolina m might bring back one, but not definitely not bringing back both because they have uh, prospects in the pipeline as well. But after we get through those kind of guys here, we get to the Cam Talbots, the Martin Jones, the James Reimers of the world, who are veteran guys who have been around for a while but have not really put up inspiring numbers lately. Oh, and I can, I guess I can throw Jonathan Quick into that category as well. Yeah, so at, at this point, all of those guys are backups. Um, I, I guess if you're a team that's looking to not win very much, maybe you sign Martin Jones because... He can still play a decent amount of games. He's durable. But he's going to give you probably at best a, a backup level of play. Um, 
and even then, some of those guys that were just mentioned, the Talbot, Jones, Reimer, Quick, even of the backups available, I those are the guys that I might kind of steer clear from. They might be a little bit more on the wrong side of their career. Um, if, if I was targeting some backups, I'd probably be looking at like an Anthony Stolarz from Anaheim. He's a little bit younger. He's 29. He's been a solid backup behind Gibson. Um, I would even have a little bit of interest in Alex Stalock if you think he can stay healthy for, and even just give you 20 games as a backup. Uh, he was serviceable in Chicago on a team that was very, very bad in front of their goalie. Um, and then uh, a fun one because of the end of the regular season would be Alex Lyon from Florida. Curious to see the situation in Florida with Bobrovsky. Uh, it's really an unknown kind of the situation going on with Spencer Knight, whether or not he'll be returning soon. Um, that's to be seen. Lyon could just stick there and be insurance for Florida, but after what he showed in the regular season, he might be able to find an opportunity to have for sure backup minutes somewhere. Yeah, I, I think Alex Lyon, if you're if you're trying to talk yourself into someone, you look a little bit at Eric Comrie last offseason signing with Buffalo, who had a very small sample size, but in some of those games was in that small sample size prior to signing that contract was very, very good. I, I think a team could easily talk themselves, especially when we're talking some of these other names on the list. I'd rather, I agree, I'd rather roll the dice on, on a lion, um, or even maybe journeyman Jarl Halak at this point. He's 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 a backup, but he can. I I would feel comfortable putting him in games that my star number one isn't playing. But the the thing with him is, I think I'm limiting him to twenty thirty. I think 30 even is too many, probably around 20 games a season, and there's not many goalies that are playing 60-plus games in a regular season anymore. I think where he's been in New York, with the Rangers specifically, behind Shesterkin, that's one of your few examples. Um, right there in New York with them, the Islanders, there's Semyon Varlamov, who I think is probably more capable of playing a bigger role still. I don't know if he leaves the Islanders. Um, he seems to be pretty happy, and the team seems to be pretty happy having him behind Sorokin. Yeah, I I, I kind of glossed over that name for, for that exact reason. I, I looked at Simeon Varlamov, and I, I'm kind of assuming that he's staying with the Islanders and that they'll work out some sort of deal we have what we think his market value is, but he's someone on the on this list that I would not be surprised takes a little less money to just stay in a comfortable situation. He's made some really good money in his career at this point. He's comfortable. He's playing with his countrymen, and he's got a good role on a team that makes it easy on their goalies. So, I I personally don't think that he's 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 
supposed to be unrestricted free agent, but my, my guess is he signs back in the island, even if it's kind of Lou Amarillo style where he where they wait until uh, September to actually sign those contracts. Absolutely, and I, I do want to touch on the countrymen comment because one, I would say still a contender that in theory could make some sense for someone like Varlamov or Halak if they were to leave um, their respective teams is the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have Vasilevsky. He could use, I think, a little bit more of a breather at this point than he usually has been getting. Brian Elliott, I don't know if he's really cutting it as the backup at this point. I don't. I still don't know if it would be enough of a situation to pull those other two goalies, Varlamov and Halak, out of their current situations. But it, it's something I'm kind of speculating. It would be an interesting fit. Yeah, I mean, speaking of guys who might be interesting fits that we've already talked about, Alex Lyon could stay in the state of Florida and just uh, move a little bit uh, to the um, northwest there and, and relocate to Tampa. And he could probably eat a few more games and give them probably better quality play than what they uh, got last year because, yeah, Tampa, Tampa's a team that need that their starting goalie in Vasilevsky definitely needs a little bit. Seems like he needs a little bit more of a breather and. This year, they finished fairly comfortably in third, but there's there's some teams behind them that they need to be careful of that could easily catch them if they they're basically punting on twenty games a year with their with a backup goalie. Florida, who were just in the Stanley Cup Finals, absolutely could could uh, sneak past them, and then you have Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit who are building some young, talented teams there. I would be really afraid of both Buffalo and Ottawa if I'm Tampa Bay. And then Florida, I think, can easily pass them as well. Yeah, and I, I think a last point to make with Tampa Bay and their goalie situation, Vasilevsky has played a lot of games in the past half decade. Um, so just in this past year, he had 66 total games, regular season playoffs. The year before... Uh, 86, the year before that, 65, before that, 77. At some point, I feel like it's he's going to break down if, if they don't get him a little bit more help. Yeah, the so really the goalie market, if you're really looking for someone, I don't know, Samsonov, if, if he hits the open market, Jari, if he hits the open market, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, if, if you need a clear starter, it's, you're going to have a tough time in free agency. If you are looking for a goalie, I think you're looking in the trade market. If And there's a couple names that have been out there. Yeah, so I, I would start with Connor Hellebuck because that seems like a for sure move that is going to be happening. Um I, I believe it's been reported that he has told Winnipeg he is not signing an, an extension with them. Um, that he's a top, I will say top five, but you could argue above that goalie in the NHL right now. Um, he's obviously a clear starter. Um, 
Then there's someone, and I don't know if he's as much available. It might take a huge offer. There's Yusei Saros from Nashville. Um, great goalie. Still has some term left on his deal, but I don't know if... I, I wouldn't move him yet, I don't think, if I'm Nashville. Uh, Carter Hart's a name for Philadelphia, who seems to be listening on pretty much everyone on their roster at this point. There's still some questions of if he is a true number one. He might be more of a 1A type of goalie, but there's still some potential there, I think. Yeah, I mean, Hellbuck's the obvious name there. This year, contract's pretty pretty manageable to fit in, especially, I don't know if Winnipeg's going to be willing to retain, but if they're going to tear things down a little bit or at all, they're probably going to have the space to maybe retain to even increase that value at all. Yeah, I think um, as far as a trade cost, it's going to depend on how Winnipeg looks at this, if they let teams talk extension before um, a deal is actually made. Um, as far as a team acquiring him, it, it depends on the specific situation, but um, I, I think an extension for him, you're, you're going to be looking at a, a max term deal most likely, and you're looking in the nines probably. He's going to want to be at the top of the goalie market. and I, I think expecting or hoping that he would sign a three-year deal or something like that, I just, I if I'm him, absolutely not. He's going into age, uh, or his new contract would be for his age 31 season. So if he were to hit UFA next year, he's going to look to cash in and get his last big deal. Yeah, I, I think I think you might be able to talk yourself into him as a pure rental and even talk him into that idea. Come on to our team. Let's put something up in front of – let's put a good team around you. You can put up some good numbers, put up some wins, hopefully make a playoff run, and then you can go pick your destination. You can go get paid. You should have the numbers to do so. And depending on what that salary cap is, yeah – Anything under $9 million for an extension just seems absolutely insane unless he kind of forces his way to one team and gives up a level of leverage in that negotiation. I don't see a, a scenario where Hellbuck does not get probably seven, at least $72 million on his next max term contract. Absolutely, and I think um, that will be a huge factor in uh, who is interested, but also I think who he is really interested in going and playing for. Um, th that'll be something we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. The, the other extension candidate that we mentioned there was Carter Hart, and uh, he'll have a QO next year, a qualifying offer that's just under $4.5 million. I don't think that is really likely. I think a long-term deal would end up happening, and you're, you're probably looking at the four-year mark, around $5 million at that point. Um, but if I'm Carter Hart, I'm not signing an extension this year. I'm going to try to play out this coming year and have it be another stronger year and up my value a little bit more. 
mean, I think it's not just Carter Hart. I think a lot of players, unless unless the team's going to blow that player out of the water, I think you're giving up a level of leverage by not waiting until you see that next the next salary cap because this one million rise is is not doing it. So if you're going to kind of lock yourself into long term deals now, you you might be doing it at a long term discount for the team. There's if you don't have to sign a contract and unless the team's going to blow you away, I just wait. So the Hellbucks, the Hearts, even I know UC Saros is is another name we talked about there as well. Find a team. He's probably the name that I'm most interested in, but I'm not. I don't understand why Nashville quite is ready to move him. I know they have Askarov in the pipelines, but I, I it's tough to move a top caliber goalie for a prospect who's been fine in the AHL, has a strong pedigree, but hasn't played an NHL game really yet. Yeah, I, I think with Nashville, it's. It's kind of a situation. I, I don't know if this would be how they view it, but if they move Soros, it kind of feels like they're throwing in the towel and would need to do at least a little bit of a reset with their team because you have a clear number one goalie with no real replacement yet. Askarov's coming. He should be very good. You don't know for sure. He hasn't played in the NHL, like you said. And yeah, I mean Nashville with uh, with Soros, and he's not even that old either. Is he, as you trade him away, you are you are really saying we're tearing it down. And I I don't know why he's not a piece that I'm moving unless you really are trying to get uh, to the top to the top of the draft and. I don't know if Nashville would really have to make some more moves to do that as well because they have a decent roster kind of around him as well. The other thing with Nashville, it's hard because they've kind of been one of these in-between teams the past couple of years since they made their uh, long playoff push a few years ago. Um, Roman Yossi's, he's 33 right now. They've got Ryan McDonough on their roster. He's 34. Um, some of their top forwards, Matt Duchesne, 32. Ryan Johansson, 30. You move, you say Saros, you might not have a true number one goalie for a few years. And by the time you have that, let's say it's Askarov and he establishes himself as a top goalie in two or three years, you don't know what your top players are going to be looking like. You might have missed your window. I mean, we you could argue that they already missed their window, but that that's a discussion probably for another uh, kind of look look on a, another podcast that we'll have oh, yeah. a, and hopefully in the future for you. Um, yeah, the goal the goalie market is definitely kind of an interesting interesting one. It it's probably going to be a lot calmer this year than in the last couple years where. I think the last couple of years there were lots of moving parts, lots of teams trying to find a one A one B type of guy. But I think we're at the point where there's there's spots for these goalies to play, but there aren't as many as in the past. I think a lot more teams are pretty pretty okay with where they're at. Uh, so it'll be it'll be really interesting to kind of see what happens there and whether maybe there is a little bit of a trickle-down with some of these RFA signing and how it might impact the rest of the organizational depth. 
with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Max Term Podcast. If you have any questions or anything, we'd appreciate uh, letting us know. You can follow us on Twitter, at MaxTermPod. You can follow uh, at AFP Analytics, where we tweet out our contract projections and kind of analysis as contracts are signed. And you can uh, direct any of your questions to that. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.